Hello, my name is Anthony Hudson and welcome to my podcast, The Masterminds. Please join me as I bring interviews with some of the very best in the world of sports, from top football managers, club chairmen, sports psychologists, and the leading experts in the world of analytics, team culture, and leadership. Next up, please welcome someone who's worked at the very highest level in his sport and continues to do so, ex-England head coach and current Leinster coach, Mr. Stuart Lancaster. Stuart, it's great to speak to you. Thank you for your time. And uh, it's off the back of a big, big result of the weekend. And 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 really a, a huge, hugely successful time over there in Ireland. Can you just really give us a brief summary of your career to date and what sort of made you the coach today and your current role today? Uh, yeah, currently in Dublin now. I'm coaching at Leinster, uh, which is one of the uh, four provinces in Ireland. Um, we're in the middle of well, the European Cup starts for us this week. So we've got a big game on Saturday um, against the Italian side, Treviso. Then we play uh, in France at Lyon. And uh, um, all roads lead to the final of the season, which is the European Cup final and the Pro 14 final, which is in June. So we're, you know, early stages of the season. We've played six uh, league games. We've won six, so six from six, which is great. Uh, and I've been here three years now, so I'm just entering my fourth season here at Leinster. Prior to that, I coached England, as uh, head coach of England uh, rugby between 2011, that was, well, the end of 2011, start of 2012 to um, end of 2015. And then I guess going back right to the start, I my original profession was a teacher. So I was a PE teacher. Uh, I went to a sports science degree, uh, taught PE uh, for 10 years at a school in Wakefield in West Yorkshire. And then when I was 30, I became the academy manager of my club when I played. Um, we created a successful academy there, got number one ranked academy in the country. And when I was 35, I got the job as the head coach of that club. Did that for two years. And then the RFU uh, English Rugby Union approached me to become uh, the head of international player development. So basically, the uh, in charge of the academy programs for the country, uh, the international age grade teams, and I coached England Saxons. And it was that role that led to the England job, obviously. And then now, obviously, here here I am in uh, uh, in Leinster. Stuart, we we met in in my favourite coffee shop on on the beach in New Zealand, uh, which is an amazing place, and. Uh, I, I, my time in New Zealand, I, I was very fortunate with my role. I was, I was able to go and spend times in changing rooms of, of rugby teams and the Crusaders and the Hurricanes and, and the All Blacks, the Auckland Blues. And, and what I noticed and what I was so impressed with is, is that it's such a difference in rugby in terms of the environment. The, it's, a, it's more of a learning environment. And also there's more ownership from the players in terms of taking responsibility of their development and learning and the game plan. What, why, why do you think that is, Stu? And have you noticed the difference between the two sports? Well, I remember that meeting well. Uh, it was a nice, well, lovely little coffee shop. We had an interesting chat, I think, at the time about the difference between football and, and rugby. Obviously, I've been in a lot more, I've been a lot of sporting environments, very lucky in my role to have coached rugby, obviously, but, you know, I've had an active interest in many sports um, and I've been involved. 
and been in, as you have, you know, looking at different environments and football's been one of them. You know, I can't say, honestly, I've been in hundreds, um, but I've got a reasonable idea from the ones that have been. I was lucky to spend time with England and when Roy Hudson was there um, and in various teams along the way. So from the outside looking in, um, it, you're right, you've probably hit on the two the two elements that, that probably I think rugby has, has done well uh, recently where it is a learning environment. I think rugby is different in that we play one game a week in, in soccer, particularly club games. You know, the, the relentless Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, you know, nature of a week makes it difficult to make it a learning environment because you're constantly in a playing environment. You know, you're very much, you know, you're playing, you're recovering, you're preparing, you're playing, you're recovering, you're preparing. So I do think that has a, that has a, a bearing. I think international football, well, my perception would be that they meet late, they have two days to prepare and then they play an international game. So again, that sort of learning environment is hard to really generate. I guess when you get a Saturday-Saturday turnaround in football, that's when the learning can take place. And certainly from the football coaches I've spoken to and I've, I've, I've presented on the FA coaching awards and um, the, the managers I've spoken to, they say culturally the players are less inclined to want to sit into meetings, less inclined to want to look at reviews or previews and much prefer to be out on the grass, so to speak. I think with rugby, if you're out on the grass all the time, then you're very, you've, got no, you've got nothing left for the weekend because it's such a physical sport. So we need to do a lot of our learning. We need to be very clever about how we maximise our time with the players off-feet as well as on-feet. And the players are used to it, basically. So they're used to coming in. They're used to reviewing a game on a Monday. They're used to previewing the opposition. They're used to unit meetings. They're used to small group meetings. They're used to presenting in front of their peers and in front of coaches. So it makes it a shared environment between the coaches and the players. And it's actually the same in, in rugby league as well. You know, my, my experience of rugby league is, is the same. So uh, I don't really want to comment too much on football because I've not been in too many environments, but that'll be my perception from the other side. Actually, the physical part of it, I actually didn't think of that. that that's that, and One thing I've always been curious about, because in football, in order to get a, to play at a certain tempo on a Saturday, it's so important that you train the way you're going to play in terms of high intensity, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it be a five minute or a 10 minute game or two minutes, it's done at high intensity, match pace. But that's something in rugby you, you can't do, can you, in terms of... Uh, no, 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 you can't. You can't. I mean, we've trained today and we trained... Uh, so just to give you a typical week, so um, we played on Friday night. Uh, we had a good win. We had the weekend off. Uh, the players came back in today, which is Monday. Um, I did the review of the game, which was say a 25-minute, 30-minute meeting. Uh, the players then split forwards, went to uh, the gym, did weights, conditioning, and the backs came to a unit meeting, which was very much looking ahead to this week's opposition. They switch, we have some lunch, and then the afternoon we go to a 40-minute rugby session, of which 20 minutes of it is team, and so I lead that, and uh, that's as what, what you've just described, high intensity, high pace, um, lots of decisions, very game-based. And then we have a unit split where the backs and forwards would do their individual stuff uh, as units. Um, tomorrow, Tuesday, there's an, another meeting in the morning where I'll preview the opposition. And I want to talk bigger picture about Europe and what Europe means to us as, as a club at Leinster because it's a, it's a big driver. So there's a bit of a bigger picture talk coming. And then tomorrow's session will be 40 minutes uh, with me and then again 20 minutes split for units so the 40 minute session will be full on not full on physical like tackling and um, we'll take the contact out of it but 
it's everything about the contact. You know, I'll try and make as many decisions, get them to make as many decisions as possible, train at high intensity, uh, with a view to then them doing some unit meetings and weights in the afternoon. Wednesday's off. Thursday, obviously, you pare it down. It's it's less less in terms of time, but we still have a, a spike of intensity. A little bit of conditioning. Friday is very much a run through, 20 minutes, half an hour, Saturday game. So that's a typical week. So we do we do train with intensity and we do train at high pace. Um, and I put the players under pressure with fatigue, decision-making, the, the games that we play, the rules of the game, um, because I want to create... Um, the learning effect in training that we that translates into, uh, into the game. So during the week, when you're preparing your week in terms of the program, do you do you also prepare your messaging throughout the week? And how ha- and how do you formulate that? How do you prepare it? You talk there about putting the players under pressure. Are these things that you you plan and prepare, or is it more instinctive? Oh no no no! It's 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 all planned and prepared. You know every. You know where we we I'm, I'm taking relevant clips out of the game to to you know um, explain points I want to to reinforce or areas we need to develop so that we we continue to develop as a group. Uh, when I'm previewing the opposition, you know, looking for key traits and uh, behaviours and weaknesses and strengths of the opposition to to bring those to life for the players. So you know we'd have scouted back four, five, six games previously. You know, clipped all those up and showed them every session I do. I spend a long time thinking about it. You know, I think the problem with coaches sometimes is we we don't put the time into preparing for training. We we get too busy, you know, with admin or um, or something else. And I I, I devote a lot of my uh, available time, you know, in the lead up to a training session, like tomorrow's session, for example. I've formulated in my mind, but I'll probably spend at least. Um, an hour tonight, um, another 20, 30 minutes tomorrow, finalising it, getting it clear in my mind, because that's how players learn. You know, it's, uh, we have a balance of structured and unstructured training. Um, we have an elements of repetition with elements of decision-making. And uh, obviously the teams I select and how we manipulate the rules will all have a bearing on how I want the outcome to, to translate on Saturday. And, and what what about relationships? So, a coach player relationship. What, what what does that look like for you today? And and has that changed over the years? It's it's not changed at all, really. It's changed because my position has changed. Um, so my coach player relationship at the moment, you know, it's well, I'd say it's strong. It's hugely important in every uh, role I've had, whether it be academy manager, England coach, you know, Leeds Tykes coach, Leinster coach. So, but. Obviously, it varies depending on um, the position you hold. So if you're England head coach and you're the guy that's making the decision on selection and you're the guy who's maybe the number one in a club, then ultimately you're the guy who might be deciding a player's contract. That's a different relationship to being a number two in a club who is there purely as a coach. Do you know what I mean? So the best way I can describe it is my roles, I always divide into three areas, leadership, management, and coaching. It's, it's what proportion of my time I'd spend in each area. So... My role at Leinster at the moment is 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 pretty much a head coaching role. So I would say the majority of my thinking time and my doing time is on coaching and leadership and relationships, basically. Um, less managerial stuff, you know, less admin, less contractual stuff, less recruitment, less uh, media, less commercial. Uh, but when I was England head coach, you know, I was the number one, you know, I was responsible for 
the commercial, the media, the running of the team, the um, the age grade teams, you know, everything really. So that balance there shifted to you know a big leadership role, obviously national coach, um, a big managerial role, but quite a small coaching role, and that was delegated to the assistant coaches. So I think, and with that, your relationship varies depending on what, what role you have. Um, but equally, the, the way I would describe relationships with players is they're like an invisible cord between you and the player. And the thicker the cord, the stronger the relationship. And it's your job as a coach, not, not the player's job, it's your job as a coach to make each cord as thick as possible. So when someone looks down on the top of you as a coach, there's this spider's web of you know, cords going between players. And the easy thing to do when we're coaching is to sit behind our desk or sit behind our laptops analysing performance or doing whatever and not getting out onto the shop floor when the boys are doing weights or not spending those one or two golden minutes that players need on feedback on their game or listen just pop up here for a chat there's one two clips I want to show you or have you got a minute listen I thought you were great last week um, you know more of the same this week this is what I want you to do and these lines are running are you clear you know any questions from today's meeting you know all those little tiny conversations that you think are nothing are actually huge and they're the ones that are thickening the, thickening the cord it just it it's just builds connection, doesn't it, amongst amongst the players and the staff? Yeah, connection um, builds um, commitment. And what what about leadership? I want to talk about building leaders with with how, how do you build leadership amongst the players? But firstly, I want to talk about yourself. Your role is three areas really: leadership, management, and coaching. Do you, do you get inspiration from from other leaders? Where does your inspiration come from? In in, in in the sense of, or do, or is it just solely from you and what you feel that of the context of the situation where you want to lead the team? Are you inspired by other other leaders as well? Well, I think it comes back to the question: Is leadership born? Are leaders born or made? You know, and can you can you develop it? Well, I firmly believe that you can develop leadership. I think it's a skill that can be learned. I think it's a skill that can be improved. I think that. Um, Leaders, you know, obviously some leaders are born, but I think you can create better leaders. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, so my leadership development, and that's the question. I think about leadership all the time. Um, I study it, I read about it, I listen about it, I think about it. But my leadership evolution, I always gravitated to leadership positions when I was at school, when I was a teacher. I was moving up the sort of pecking order within the, um, the, the school. Um, but then I went on a course when I was 28. Um, and it's a bit like some of the courses you have in football now, you know, the LMA courses or the FIFA courses. or And it was less technical. It was more about leadership and management. And it gave me the theory behind the practice of leadership. So once that door was opened at 28 years old, you know, I pushed it wide open. We went to Ashley's Business School and I found books to read and I met, found people to meet. And the more um, I understood it, the more I wanted to learn about it. So... And so, you know, this is, then I got feedback on my own leadership styles. I did psychometric profiles. So this is all in my evolution as a young coach, you know, between the ages of 30 and 35, 40. Obviously, I gravitated to the England job at 41. So you're in a seriously important leadership position then. So it's tested under, under pressure. And uh, since then, I've continued, you know. So, you know, if, you, if, you, if I could show you around my room now, you'd see books everywhere. and um great great people who who wouldn't even know I existed you know who've written books on leadership uh I've met great leaders you know I'm lucky that I've got a good network of people I've met um I've created a leadership course on what I've learned and uh, all those books I've read I've translated into a leadership course and you know if people want to 
um, connect with me on LinkedIn, then then they can they can access that. There's podcasts. I do a leaders podcast, um, and it's all for me to share what I've learned on leadership and create leaders within the players I'm coaching. So I wish I had had the information I'd done leadership at 22, not 28. And what I'm trying to do with that 21, 22, 23 year olds, it give them the experience I had later in my career, earlier in their career, so they can become better leaders. And rather than just wait for experience to develop them, trying to accelerate their development as leaders so that by the time they're reaching their peak as a player, they're not only just reaching their peak as a player, they're reaching their peak as a leader. Sure. Do you have a like real life example of, of a situation where you've worked with a player or two in terms of helping them see the situation and help them become respond in a different way to become a better leader? Is there? Uh, well, yeah, there's hundreds. I mean, hundreds of players you've coached who uh, who, who um, you know just need feedback. Basically, um, you know, there was there was one guy I remember I was coaching who was leading in the wrong way, and he just needed um, some feedback. So I got him to fill in a leadership questionnaire on his leadership style. I filled the same questionnaire in. We had the conversation and um, I tried to highlight to him some of the areas where I thought he was leading well, but some areas where he was perhaps struggling. Um, let's say I'll get a personality profile done of a player to help them understand their own personality because you can't lead others until you lead yourself first and understand yourself. After we lost in the European Cup final last year, you know, we had a really difficult review. We were uh, we'd reached Everest and not quite made it. And then we had the semi-final of the Pro 14 and our bitter rivals, uh, Munster, ready to play a week later. So we needed to deal with the defeat, learn from it and move on. And I met um, three or four of the young players on their own who played in the game but weren't in leadership positions to talk to them privately about what we learned from the game, what they learned from the experience, how they could translate that into becoming better players in the future. So, you know, those... There's some examples, but you know, I would I have a WhatsApp group of the players, and I send them leadership stuff all the time. Um, there's stuff I'll see on YouTube, and I'll send it out to the players group. And you know, not all my talks or, or presentations will be about leadership, but they know that at least once or twice a month I'll touch on it, and I'll keep trying to grow them. And I'll and, and the ones who I think have got real potential, I'll actively try and develop them. That that that's something that you just mentioned about um, sending out, you know, leadership learnings and I assume articles and, and, and questionnaires, things like that. I, th- I think that's something that is different than, than football. And I th- but I definitely think football is moving more in the direction of, of where rugby is in terms of uh, this type of culture. I'm lucky that I know Gareth Southgate reasonably well. You know, we, we, we live quite close to each other. I live in Leeds. He lives in Harrogate. And we were both given interim roles as national coaches. I was given the interim role of England um, rugby. He was given the interim role of England football. And, and he... He and I share ideas, not reasonably regularly, but we've shared ideas. I went and spoke to him before the Football World Cup on the back of what I learned from the Rugby World Cup. I'm lucky that I'm on the technical advisory board for the Football Association. So there's a there's a group of us who are sit outside football who come and bring uh, adv- ideas from other sports uh, that hopefully football can benefit from. That. So that was set up by Martin Glenn, to be fair, the CEO, and he did a brilliant job in pulling a really diverse group of people together. And there's a book Matthew Sides has written called Rebel Ideas, and he quote is in it. Matthew Sides on the on the, on the course and uh, technical advisory board, sorry. And uh, he's written about this idea where that the diversity of um, a coaching team is sometimes a strength. You know, there's, there's a lot of organizations I see that have the same ideas with the same coaches recycling the same ideas the whole time. Um, and sometimes 
bringing ideas from the outside in is actually a strength, not a weakness. And um, we, we in Leinster, for example, I think Leinster benefited. You know, I've come in from England. It's an Irish province. I've come in from England, bought some ideas. Felipe Contopomi's come in from Argentina. Um, he's brought some ideas from there. Um, Robin Bride's just arrived. He's been the Wales forwards coach for the last 10 years. He's just arrived. So this diversity of thinking, I think, is an important thing in sport. And uh, I think the Football Association deserve credit for that. That um, that initiative, because I think that if you only keep doing what you keep doing, then you'll just end up with the same results. You mentioned uh, with, with your time at England there. I, I want to talk about responding from setbacks. I've, I've listened to, I've read a lot, uh, you know, of, of you know articles about yourself, and uh, obviously we have mutual connections. And I've listened to lots of interviews, and it and it and it appears that. Which I fully believe anyway, but I'd love to, you know, hear you talk about this. That going through adversity um, and responding in a certain way, you know, you you become a, a much better leader. Um, but just off the back of England, like what what did you do? Uh, I, I know you've gone and visited others, you know, been out with the Atlanta Falcons and over in New Zealand, and you know, what what were the things that you did to to learn, to grow, to develop? And 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 do you feel you, now you're in a much better place than than where you were before? Well, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, really. You know, you wouldn't wish failure on anyone. You know, you wouldn't want anyone to to lose the role. You know, to to become a better leader. You know, it's not. And certainly for me, you know, I was head coach of the national team at home World Cup, and we were twenty two twelve up in a game that you know we were we were leading comfortably, and we 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 lost the game, and ultimately. Even if we'd have drawn the game, probably would have made the quarterfinal, and the outcome for me personally could have been different. But we didn't, and uh, so initially, my 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 initial short term action was to take responsibility. You know, I didn't want to um, hold other people accountable. You know, I wanted to make sure I took responsibility. I was in charge; it was on my watch, and I certainly wasn't going to pass the book to anyone else. So that's what I felt I did. Um, the review took place, and the RFU decided to move me on. Um, and then it's tough. It's very, very tough um, because you're left with the regret, the disappointment, the, the guilt, because you feel like you know you've let the country down and everything else has gone with it. So it's a difficult place to find yourself. And the big thing that really got to me was the lack of purpose. So it was November 2015 when I finished the RFU. As you say, you know, Christmas came and went. Um, and then, but then the, the 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 Six Nations started, and you know, a new coach came in. Um, and I, I, uh, as I say, I travelled. I went abroad. Um, I went to see and speak to other organisations. I probably needed the time on my own as well, to us to reflect and to think it all through. Um, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty self-aware, so I didn't really change how I felt during that period. But it was good to get away. There's no doubt. Um, and then I just dived back into anything I could do where I felt I was adding value, you know. And we could, we're talking coaching school teams, coaching local club teams, um, and, uh, you know, trying to make sure my days and weeks were full. Um, because otherwise, you just sit there waiting for the phone to ring. And, you know, when you're in position I was in, it wasn't ringing. So um, a couple of jobs did come up. Uh, one in um, Queensland, uh, Brisbane, Queensland Reds, uh, in... Uh, sort of April, May time, the one in uh, France. I did some coaching in New Zealand, uh, Counties of Monaco, and uh, really enjoyed that. And then fortunately, in September, uh, Leinster had a defence coach leave, and that's where the opportunity came to to join Leinster. And obviously, I've not looked back since, but 
you know, I can't say I engineered that. That was <laughs> that was luck, really, that the guy left and um, Leo Cullen picked up the phone to me. And it was a long time, so it's tough. You know, it's. I think it'd have been easier to get over if you'd have if I'd have had a job to go straight into, but I didn't. And that lack of purpose was the bit that was uh, eating away at me. What, what did when you look back now? Um, do you find that there was meaning in in all of this, in 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 the adversity from losing your job in England, and then the process of going to visit work in in other uh, countries, going through the process of um, taking ownership reviewing everything like do you look back now and you and you see that do you see meaning in this time as in wait from from where you were then to where you are now possibly possibly but but but, but you know I, I, I didn't i didn't feel i needed meaning you know i was i was you know at a young team you know a difficult situation i inherited and um, i tried my best to turn the team around and bring a new culture and 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 a new playing style with a group of players that had very very limited international experience against you know, of the 50 games I had in charge of England, 49 times, we were less experienced than the opposition. And when we're talking less experienced, we're talking significantly less, less experienced. And trying to, to do that and, and, and develop credibility for the governing body, which had lost a lot of credibility, to be honest, um, uh, during the 2010-2011 period. So, you know, I didn't feel I needed a break, to be honest, to, to develop some meaning and, and learning. But... Obviously, it came, and if you're asking me, am I a better coach now, then yes, I would say the answer is yes, because um, the pain of the, uh, the the loss in the game and the determination to get back on the horse and prove myself back again as a coach definitely drove um, drove me. It makes me thicker-skinned. It makes me tougher mentally, I think. Um, it makes me more clear on my philosophy, both on and off the field, and it also crystallized in my mind that I, you know, I was born and bred a teacher, which is essentially a coach anyway. And I, there was no way I was going to go into a role that I wasn't going to be coaching in. You know, yes, I'd done leadership and managerial roles. Um, and, you know, the ones that look at strategy and, you know, big picture stuff, you know, I know I can do that stuff, but it's not what gets me out of bed. What the meaning, I guess, was, I guess, that I, my real passion was coaching and I wanted to follow that passion. That's that's interesting, and you and you mentioned there as well developing a thicker skin, you know, becoming mentally tougher. Well, this is this is something I think is talked about more in rugby than football, and I'm I'm really uh, curious as to, you know, what your view on mental toughness is and how you develop that in players and also yourself. Is that is that something that you're con you you have a, a process or you're you're consciously aware of? I'm not sure the process, but definitely um, consciously aware of, you know, um, resilience, those attributes surrounded with, you know, mental tough characteristics, you know, because when you're in a position where you're a national coach and you're, you're wide open to, to everything, you know, I mean, if you win, it's great, but if you don't, it's, there's, no, there's no middle ground. You do develop uh, a level of resilience. What you can't do is develop it in your family, um, and uh, that, that's where it's really it's really tough on them, but um, I think I think you can can develop it. I think you know there's players I've coached who the best way I can describe the identification of talent in rugby, and it's probably the same in football. But tell me if you if you think it's wrong. I, I always divide players into um, three areas. So there's a technical tactical side of the game. So are they skilled? Are they a good decision maker? Do they understand the game? You know, are they have they got good passing skills or kicking skills or or evasion running or whatever it is you know positionally are they aware so the technical type of side of the game then there's the physical side of the game so actually do they have the physical attributes to become 
an elite player. And then there's the mental side of the game. Have they got the mental attributes to deal with adversity, to deal with pressure, to want the ball when the game is on the line, to um, to have that competitive fire, that winning mentality inside them. And a lot of the players I've coached during my career have had two of the three, you know, like let's call it out of 10, two, or three, two of those three categories, eight out of 10, nine out of 10, but there's always one category um, there's maybe four or five out of 10 or six out of 10. And that's the one that sometimes while they never actually make it to the very, very top, they'll still be a good pro, but maybe not an international player, but the very best players, they're, they're nearly nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 in all those areas. So technically, tactically, they're fantastic rugby players. Physically, they're, they've got the gifts that they need to play the sport. Um, but mentally, they have that mental toughness to be able to want to, 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 to want to win, to have the resilience, to have the ability to, deal with the pressure of playing for your country and make good decisions when the game's on the line. And that that area is an area, I think, sometimes that coaches turn around and go, he just hasn't got it, or she just hasn't got it. She's just not mentally tough, or he's not mentally tough. Well, I think it's a skill that can be developed. Uh, and I think it's as if you raise the awareness of it and you, you give them tools and strategies to support them, then I think you can create, you can create a mentally... Uh, strongest players um, but obviously it's down to the player himself ultimately but um, uh, and I think the same is true for coaches um, I think you can you can have all the technical side of the game but you also need to have the mental side of the game as well to be an effective coach and and as a coach is it are there any processes or you know things that you use in terms of that for, for yourself when you go through a loss or bad times or lose a job uh, yeah I, th- I think I think Obviously, reflection and self-reflection, I think, is number one. So, so reflection on the, the performance um, and your coaching within it, being honest with yourself, um, looking yourself in the mirror and asking what you could have done better yourself, uh, getting feedback on your own performance where people see your strengths and weaknesses. And generally, you know, what I find with players, if you're open with them and you ask for feedback, they'll, they'll do it in a constructive way. They won't, you know, like hammer you to the ground. But if you take on board that feedback and you learn to improve in the areas you think you need to improve, uh, I think that's an important um, characteristic. I find that I always work on the principle, like what's the problem, what's, what's the solution? So let's say we played a game, we've lost a game on Saturday. And then Monday morning, you know, we're, we're coming into work and I need to have worked out what the solution is to the problem before we arrive into work. Um, and I think some coaches I've worked with who haven't got that capacity to do that, they're the ones who very quickly get found out at the highest level. So, you know, you're your ability to and, and you need to create the time to do that you know you need to rewatch the game you need to think things through you need time on your own and, and this is where it gets tough on the family because obviously it's a day off or whatever but um but if you don't take those that time to think things through and work out okay what was the problem what's the solution because the players need to hear the solution when they turn up on monday morning they need to hear the solution from you and you've got to give them the confidence and belief that they're going to go win next week on the back of the learning they've taken from the defeat and that, and that builds a resilience inside you. It builds a mental strength. And the more experienced you get, the more coaching surface. So young coaches listening, you know, that does build over time. You know, I'm, I've co- well, I've taught PE now since I was 20 years old. I've just turned 50, so that's 30 years now. And one of the advantages of being a teacher, first and foremost, is you go through the process on a daily basis of planning a session, doing a session, and reviewing the session. And you do it five times a day. So you do five lessons a day, you know, might do badminton, basketball, football, rugby league, and gymnastics, you know, but you do it five days a week. So you're constantly doing this 
right, what's the problem? What's the solution? How do I deal with the situation? You know, how do I? And that just, that's what 10,000 hour rules of coaching really sort of seeps in. And I think, you know, the more experience you get, the more you get to see repeated issues arise and you get more adept at finding solutions to problems. And I think that's part of growth as a coach. And part of what excites me as um, a coach developer, not a player developer, is passing what I've learned. So younger coaches benefit from my experiences earlier than I did. Not that they don't make the same mistakes, but they just they just can yeah learn learn from from people who've, who've been through it. Sure, uh, Stuart. Just just last question. I'm I'm really um, interested to just hear a little bit more about what you learnt from you, you, your time in between jobs when you went to the the Atlanta Falcon, Falcons. Obviously, out in New Zealand with the British Cycling. Um, be, because I've I've over the years, ever since I started coaching, I've loved to go and visit. Other sports and uh, other football teams. I've always done it. I love doing it. It's motivating. It's inspiring. And there's there's always things that cross over. But what do you take away from those experiences? And and you know, were they valuable for you? Was there some that were more valuable than others for different reasons? They, they all they all have their own value um, in different ways. And um, it might it might be yeah a visit to a club uh, or an organisation or it might be a meeting, or it might be a conversation. Do you know what I mean? They're all, there's always value. I think what we what we need to be as coaches is to be open-minded and open to learning and open to getting better. So if you imagine a graph with the vertical axis, um, what you know, you know, you want to be near the top, if you want to be coaching the top end of the game, you know, eight, nine, or 10 out of 10 along the vertical axis, uh, sorry, the horizontal axis, then it's, you know, your open-mindedness to learning. So you need to be 10 out of 10 in both areas. So you've got, imagine that graph, you're in the top right-hand corner. Um, so you've got an openness to learning from other people and other organizations. And you can always learn from from anyone if you're prepared to ask the right questions. You know, I meet some great coaches who are always asking great questions and what do you think about this and how do you do that? And, you know, why, why, why what do you think about identity? How do you build a great culture? Or all the questions you're asking me. Um, but equally, I meet, I meet probably an equally similar number of coaches who, when you bump into them, they never ask you a question once. They never say, what do you think of this? Or if you were playing against us, how would you try and beat us? Um, or what's the, what's the best session you've done recently? Or whatever, you know, I'll be forever quizzing because that's how you grow as a coach. And uh, as soon as you stop learning, you stop growing. I, I like that graph. I think that's um, being open to learning is absolutely crucial. And one question I don't think I ask enough of opposition coaches in football, I don't know why I've always been uncomfortable, is that, you know, how did you, how did you prepare to, to play against us? That's something I've always wanted to. I never feel comfortable doing it. Well, when we, when we, get, when we get visited into our club, then we obviously welcome them because, you know, we've, we've been successful. You know, people are, it's, it's, it's great that people you know, want to, to to learn and, you know, it's, it's a credit to the organisation. But we do say to them, before you go, we want you to present to us about how you're going to try and beat us. Wow. Um, wow. And uh, it's amazing what they, you know, it's amazing the learning you take. Jeez, I never thought of that. And uh, so it's a uh, you know, little tip from the top if you're, if you're getting guests in. Now, obviously, through a different sport, then maybe it's not that useful, but uh, certainly, you know, from the same sport, you know, if I was a football coach, I'd invite you and I'd say, right, just your quick analysis about how you think you're going to beat us. That's a great idea, by the way. Okay, Stuart, I'm 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 mindful of the time, and I know you you you've got preparation to do for tomorrow. I, I, listen, I just want to say sincerely thank you for your time. 
this has been been really, really useful, lots of learnings, and I appreciate your openness. Yeah, well, like I say, you know, there's a lot of lot of stuff I've put on on, on LinkedIn and stuff. Um, there's a website called Udemy, U D E M Y, um, and I'd never heard of it actually, but uh, all the all the contents on there, and if you if you Google my name on that, you'll find the leadership course on there as well. And uh, yeah, if I can, you know, um, share, you know, uh, a hundredth of what I've learned to other coaches, you know, what's my what's my end game? My end game really um, would be to keep coaching to the highest level I can for as long as I can, and keep developing my experience. Ideally, coaching some hemisphere at some point. You know, I'd love to go and challenge yourself over there. It's it's a little bit family restrictive at the moment, but you know, that'd be a goal. But ultimately. You know, the long, long term would be to be a coach developer and, and and help develop coaches and pass on what I've learned when I've hung up my whistle and I'm too old to run around. But uh, fortunately, it's still there. No. Still plenty of time left. Well, look, look, I can guarantee you there's, that you've given a lot here. So, so thank you so much, and uh, um, look forward to seeing the season progress. It's going going really well at the moment. Thanks, Stuart. Cheers, mate.